This episode is proudly brought to you by Buttons Boring. You are listening to Better Off Dad. We were lucky enough to catch up with AFL legend and father of two, Paul Ruse. As a player, Ruse played 356 games with Fitzroy in Sydney and for a while during this time was regarded by many as the best player in the game. A seven-time All-Australian, twice as captain, he was a club captain, centre-half back in Fitzroy's team of the century and has been inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. He went on to be regarded as one of the great coaches of the modern era, leading Sydney to a flag in 2005. He took over Melbourne in 2013 to start the resurgence of the club that led to a premiership last year in 2021. We discussed his career at length, but we also talk about his relationship with his boys and his wife Tammy, what fatherhood means to him, as well as the important stuff like the mullet he had during his playing days. What a fitting finish this is. Ruse! No, unable. Still an opportunity. Abbott can't crash his way through. Ruse's left foot kick is a And welcome to Better Off Dad, Paul Ruse. How are you, mate? I'm well, boys. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. Really good. And really appreciate your time coming on. Um, you're in Hawaii, mate. Um, there's a little bit of confusion back and forth. We were texting about times. I got a little bit mixed up with the time difference. Um, not only that, I was thinking originally, gee, Ruse is writing back to my messages late. I'm getting text messages at three in the morning. I thought, what's he up to? <laughs> you're in Hawaii, mate. How much of your time are you spending over there now? Like, What, what is your living situation there? Yeah, so we bought... Here, my wife's American, so she's from uh, about 50 miles south of San Francisco, and we've been married for uh, nearly 30 years. So we obviously coming back and forth to the States, and then we started looking at holidays, and then Hawaii became a good destination, obviously 10 hours from Australia, five hours from sort of San Jose. And so we started spending time with our family, and so we ended up buying here, I think 2012 was, which is really good. So we've spent a lot of time here anyway. Um, so so really, not much has changed dramatically. But given that I'm not as involved in footy, we're able to spend a lot more time here um, and sort of transition. So Tammy spent a lot of time in Australia, and, and as I said, thankfully we spent some time in America. But we're sort of more transitioning across to the to the US. But not not a lot's changed in terms of perhaps the the balance of of Australia versus US. How did uh, how did Tammy and yourself meet, mate? <laughs> yeah, so we met. We were on a um, Fitzroy on a a trip, a footy trip to Hawaii, actually, ironically, but the footy trip had finished. So myself and another mate of mine, Brett Stevens, we travelled to the mainland. And one of the I mean, great parts of being going to Hawaii as, as a group of footballers is then most people sort of branch off afterwards. So you get your sort of seven days and then, to be honest, as much as it is fun spending time with your teammates, the seven days sort of can be seven days of you know, <laughs> hell, and then you sort of head off, and that's when the that's when the relaxing starts, and you know you get to see explore and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so we just we headed to uh, LA, went to Vegas and San Diego, and we just met really quite casually, to be honest. But Tammy's family had already bought a ticket for her to go to Australia the next year as a graduation present. So that's sort of where, mm-hmm. and we just said, look, come down, we can take you around and show you a few footy games and stuff like that, and then. It sort of went from there, and then Brett and I went back and visited her family the following year, um, and that's how it all really started. Is it true, Rosie, that you did tell her you were a professional athlete, but it wasn't so much a footballer? Is that right? Yeah, I said I was a professional surfer when we first met because we're in <laughs> we're in a surf town. But it, the, the giveaway was it was funny. You guys are young fellas, but there was a time in Melbourne where to get into a nightclub, you had to 
like have a fully collared shirt and business pants. Like it was almost like a suit and tie, but just short of that. So we're like, oh, okay. So to get into the places like the underground, the tunnel and boardwalk and all those places, you had to dress up a fair bit. So we took our good kit to San Diego, but it didn't really fit in because everyone had <laughs> T-shirts and jeans and shorts and thongs and so I'm standing there in my bloody ridiculous pants and a long sleeve and telling everyone I was a professional <laughs> surfer. So I really didn't go over that well, to be honest. You guys have two boys. How often, living in Hawaii, mate, how often do you all get together? That would take a bit of coordinating, I'd imagine. I think one of the strengths of the family has always been, because we travel a lot overseas, we've always travelled together as a family. And we actually, yeah, a lot of families go away together, which I did as a kid. Like when I was a kid, yeah, we went down to Wilson's Prime and we always would go with another family. Which, which I loved, which was great. But I think because we always travel by ourselves most of the time, the boys actually get on really well and they actually look forward to family holidays, obviously because they can't afford them themselves. So, yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. But uh, and I think that's the sort of strength of the family. They really enjoy getting together. And uh, Dylan's actually living on the North Shore of Hawaii, which is great. Tyler's moved to Venice Beach, which is really good. So the boys are 25, 27, but they still really enjoy spending time you know, we've done some incredible holidays. So, yeah, we still, we're still able to get together a fair bit, which is really, really important for us as a family. And, and as much as the boys probably about grown mum and dad, um, I think they still value a nice little meal every now and then that they can't afford and, you know, just piggybacking <laughs> on the coattails of some, some nice uh, holidays. So, but it's been a really important part of, I guess, the Ruse family is, is those holidays. We've been really lucky going to, yeah, safaris, yeah, Machu Picchu, yeah, Central America, South America, stuff like that. So yeah, we still try and get together a lot, which is good. Um, how did being a dad evolve for you, Paul, over being a player, a coach, a civilian, back into coaching, and now as a dad that just cruises the world? How have you seen your role within the family? Yeah, it probably goes a step back, doesn't it? I mean, we all learn from our own parents, and yeah, so. I don't know, it's funny what, what age you start thinking as a, uh, a a guy, young guys, what you'd be like as a dad, you know. But um, how old was I? I was probably 28 or 29, you know, when Tammy and I started having kids. Dylan, uh, 1992, he was born sort of thing. So I guess um, at that stage, the good thing is you've got a really good network around with your footy club. The bad thing was, not bad thing, but I was in Sydney sort of by ourselves. So we had to really rely on that network. My family was down in Melbourne. Tammy's family was in America. Um, so we had to rely on the footy club. So the footy club's a really strong network to help you navigate. And I know it was really important for Tammy coming over from America when she arrived at Fitzroy. But I suppose, I suppose you learn from your own parents, you know, things they do right and wrong. And I'm sure Dylan and Tyler would say the same thing now. But in terms of your parenting skills, there's not, there's not really a one book is there you know where you read a book and go oh yep no nah, it's fantastic it's not like putting an ikea piece of ikea furniture together but even on that there's normally a nut and bolt missing or a screw or something like that that's probably a bit like parenting isn't it the the table where you don't get the screw and you got to put it together and you got to you know <laughs> it's a bit ad hoc parenting so but i was really lucky i, I guess i had a good upbringing myself until my mum and dad split up um when i say good upbringing they're both together until I, they split up when i just left the house so yeah, up until 18, 19, we were always together. We were always on family holidays. We were always playing sport. Mum would take us everywhere. Dad would be involved as much as he could, whether it's you know, managing the footy team or being president of the tennis club. So 
I did le- learn a lot from that experience um, when I became a parent myself. Where did the, the love for footy start, Rosie? Where did that sort of Yeah, I, I guess traditionally I was born in 63, so I started playing sport yeah, late 60s, early 70s, and, and it was just your thing you did back then. It was it was footy in the in the footy season and cricket in the, the summer, but I actually got involved in basketball when I was in primary school, and I'd never played cricket, so I was more basketball, football. So the football was more natural. The basketball was probably a little bit different, and the tennis was because my mum and dad played sport uh, at Donvale Tennis Club. So they were my three sports. And footy was probably the most natural of them all because everyone played footy and everyone wanted to do it. Uh, yeah, we just loved playing with my mates, loved going to the Beverly Hills Junior Footy Club, loved playing. And, and they were Sundays, which allowed me to play tennis on Saturdays and basketball on Saturdays and Friday night. So, yeah, the footy was probably the most natural. The tennis and the basketball were probably a bit more unusual for, for kids of my generation at that time. Did you always have a beautiful mullet? Um during the early days, mate, or did that just come on during the, the middle of your career? You know, it's funny because it it, it the mullet <laughs> wasn't spoken about when you had the mullet. That that was a fascinating thing. It was like really interesting because like all my generation, you know, if I look at all my peers, you know, Kerners, Steve Kernahan, Greg Anderson, Dermot Brereton, Johnny Platten, Gary Ayres, everyone had this everyone had this hairstyle, but no one called it a mullet. I don't even know when it sort of came up. So it's funny when you look back on it. Yeah, I reckon at school, it was sort of the trend at school as you got a little bit more yeah, control over your own hair and your parents sort of lost a bit of control. You know, the boys, we went away with the Pasco boys. They they had the long hair and the mullets and, yeah, I looked up to them. And, yeah, so, yeah, as you gradually lost, yeah, your parents lost control of the short back and sides, it was always something you evolved into and then, yeah, when you pay for your own haircut, it was like, yeah, no, the mullet's the way to go sort of thing. But, again, you never looked at it from that point of view. It was sort of the, the hairstyle of the day, you know, and it just sort of happened. So, yeah, it was pretty natural, and I was I was a pretty easy proponent of the mullet back then, and, yeah, it was pretty pretty seamless, to be honest. Rusey, you end up at, at, um, at the Fitzroy Football Club. I've heard you speak before about the club had some really strong leaders around that time. How have those? How have your? How has your view on that male role model changed since those Fitzroy days as to what you do now? Because it's a big part of your life leadership now, isn't it? Forever indebted to the caliber and quality of people they were, and yeah, Gary Wilson, who was our captain, fantastic guy. I still keep in contact with Flea, but really good morals, good behaviours on the field, off the field. Laurie Serafini, yeah, Bernie Quinlan, Mickey Conlon, yeah, and then the next generation: Scotty Clayton, Matty Rendell, and Leon Harris, Rossi Thornton. I was really, really fortunate. Probably the main thing I learned about, as you said, you know, everyone's a role model. You can choose to be a really good role model or a bad role model, you know. And I was really lucky to have good role models and I got from them. And I really believe that it formed a lot of my basis of my plan, but more in particular my coaching career. And now a lot of philosophies we do are performance by design, you know, really based on that role model leadership concept. You know, which has really, really been prevalent in my whole footy career over 40 years and now I'm you know, working in that field. So I'm, I'm really forever indebted for those guys and because you know, they taught me how to act on the field. They taught me how to act off the field. You know, they're really, really good people, good human beings, which was fantastic. Is it a big transition, Paul, your leadership values from, from the AFL world into corporate? Yeah, I think you've got to realise that like the AFL is such an accountable business and so much on feedback 
it's just off the charts in feedback. I think what I realised getting in the corporate world, yeah, I've got to tone down a little bit because I'm just, 40 years I've just lived and breathed feedback, 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 feedback. And it can be quite daunting for people. And it, because it's not so regular in the corporate world, you know, people aren't as used to it. We talk about giving feedback as a learned skill. Yeah, you know, so I've learned that skill over 40 years. You know, still at times it can be un- uncomfortable when you've got to, you know, do list a player, when you've got to tell a player that's dropped or whatever. But it's just, I think that's the biggest thing. I've realised the corporate world is just nowhere near to the level of accountability and feedback as the AFL world is. And that, that's been a real interesting transition to you know, have to modify my behaviour in a sense. The framework is still exactly the same. You know, develop your culture code, which we did at, you know, we did at Sydney, we did at the Melbourne Footy Club, the business partners now doing it at North Melbourne. Create the culture code, which you've got to do in a corporate world. You know, build really strong relationships. Understand you know, through profiling how people work different you know, characters, different profiling, and then give really honest feedback. It's just a lot slower in the corporate world than it is in a footy club because a footy club is so immediate. You don't do it. Even bad footy clubs do it relatively well. There's still a gap between a good footy club and a bad footy club. But if you don't move with the times in the footy club, obviously we know what happens. You know, Either the coach leaves, the board gets sacked, the CEO leaves. So it's just such an immediate, accountable industry to be part of. So you, that... that um culture that you built um, in Sydney in that, that early to mid 2000s you were part of it as a player and then as a coach um, it, it still it still bleeds through the, the, today's Sydney Sydney team yeah it's interesting I, I just saw Josh Kennedy Joey Kennedy's Instagram he's got life membership and I sent him a, a little message as well because I think you're right I think we're all really proud of it you know and Josh came in from Hawthorne which has got a great culture as well but yeah, getting to, to and to see what he's been able to achieve has just been incredible. And largely, it's about himself and his commitment to the Bloods culture. And yeah, but, but him becoming captain on the back of when we started at Shuey Maxfield and Johnny Longmire and I were together when we first started in two thousand and three. At the end of two thousand three, Stewie was the first captain. Then you roll into you know, guys like Kirky and, and and Leo Barry, and then you sort of go. I think it's Karen Jack, and yeah, I'm going to miss a few because there's been plenty. Um, yeah, Jared McVeigh and then Joey Kennedy and Dane Rampey. And, and I guess the constant's been John Longmore. You know, John and I started it and John can pick it up from me. So, I mean, he's got, a lot, got to get enormous credit for what you know, the club has achieved over many, many years. So, and, and another story comes to mind. I, I was in Broadbeast last year when Melbourne's opened for about 24 hours over that you know, two-year lockdown they put in place. And I ran into you know, John on the beach and Benny Matthews is back there and you know, Jared McVeigh. And it's just seamless. You know, just Tammy, my wife, was with me and they just welcomed me with open arms and you know, reintroduced me to the new players. And I was part of this, the academy with Chris Smith and then there was Nick Blakey and you know, Cal Mills and Isaac Heaney. I had a lot to do with. Yeah, it's, it's a really proud to see the club you know, being such a successful footy club over a period of time and, you know, to be part of that in the early days. And, you know, when I ran the guys like Stewie Maxfield, I, I hope they're as proud as I, I am because Stewie, being the first captain, was instrumental in creating that culture. Now, just flowing that through to, to Melbourne, your time with Melbourne, do you do you feel the same um, sense of pride with where they've managed to get to? Obviously, it's, um you know, you've been away there a while, but you set the wheels in motion. Do you have... Some happy moments off the back of what they've they've done last. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching it because again we're in lockdown. I was watching it with my wife and by myself, 
I just felt a huge sense of excitement and closure once the, the game finished and, and just so much. You know, I sent so many text messages out yeah, to, to Goody and the players that I coached, but, but you know, Peter Jackson and Todd Viney and Josh Marnie and Ben Matthews and Dan McPherson and Brett Allison and George Stone and Jason Taylor, who was part of... Yeah, so there's this, this really sense of building something and, you know, I was, I was only there for three years, but I knew I was going to be there for three years, but to put the foundations with so many... Glenn Bartlett done an amazing job as the chairman, so to put so many... Uh, building blocks in place and then to see the, the players, I think there's nine players that I coached or come in at that stage and then to see Goody win the premiership and yeah, it was amazing. It was just really, really exciting and, and in, a, in a way it sort of gave a bit of closure to my journey, my AFL journey, even though I'm doing some work with North Melbourne now. Yeah, it was, it was, I'm never going to coach again and probably just to have two succession plans to, for John Lyman to win it in 2012 and for Simon Goodwin to win it last year. You know, to do it twice and to have two premierships you know, by those coaches, it's, it's just amazing. But what I realise is so many people put in so much effort, you know, and I've, I've just mentioned probably reeled off 10 people plus the players, but, you know, the, the fans that I met, you know, through my time at Melbourne, you know, the, the heartache they went through and I just received an unbelievable message from a Melbourne family and I won't go into the message because it's quite emotional. Um, you know, my really good mate John lost his wife, Sue, yeah, three years ago, I think it was, and our big Melbourne supporters, and to, and to get it means so much to so many people. I think you realise when you're in footy for so long how emotional it can be. But to get a message from him and him thanking me and Tammy for what we created at Melbourne and and how much it meant to them on the back of the, the tragedy that they've lost, you know, he lost his wife. It, yeah, it was pretty special and pretty emotional. I still get text messages from Sydney Swans fans, and I run into them you know, in the street and Melbourne people. So, yeah, it, it means a lot because it's a lot of time, a lot of effort by a lot of people to be able to build something that they built Sydney and, and goodies continue to build at Melbourne. Ruzi, you get to Melbourne in 2013. I'm curious to know, a lot of these young guys that you would have been coaching at Melbourne at that time were not a dissimilar age to your boys. Did you find you coached a little differently there? Did you find you took on more of a fathering role to these young guys? Yeah, when I went to Melbourne... I knew my job was going to be dramatically different. That's why I had to bring the coaches that I trusted. Jade Rawlings was there. I knew Jade really well. That was fantastic. But to bring Benny Matthews, George Stone, Brett Allison, Daniel McPherson, they did the the hard one-on-one coaching. Yeah, you know, for me, it was about establishing a culture, building relationship with the players, teaching them what what was right and wrong from a playing point of view. And yeah, and I guess having boys the same age that was really good because the boys really enjoyed being around the players and met some really good players and became really good friends with some of the players as well but it was a it was sort of a different role coaching the Swans to coaching Melbourne it was really more of a CEO role of the footy department yeah working with Josh Marnie and Peter Jackson and Glenn Bartlett and re-establishing the values re-establishing the culture setting the game plan up we started with contest and defense moved into offense and really set the club up over three years so it was a yeah, and, and really, for the players to understand, we're in it with them. You know, this is about relationships, but also really high standards, and to, and bouncing back from relationships to high standards, and having really tough conversation with the players, but wrapping my arms around them and being really positive on the back of six years of you know really tough environment. And you know, they won two games the year before I got there. So we look, we knew we knew what we're in for, and we knew how hard it was, and we knew that collectively it was going to take some time to build it. And yeah, you know, I was really proud of everything we did over that three-year period and, you know, extremely proud of where the club's got to in winning a premiership. 
Hi, it's Mike here from Better Off Dad. Next time you want to catch up with friends for a few drinks in a prime location, head to Buttons Brewing in Ulverston. Buttons Brewing is a family-owned brewery producing small-batch beers for the people of Tasmania's Northwest. Not only do they do tasty beers, but they serve them at their own bar and restaurant, along with burgers, pizzas, live music, and laughter every weekend. You've always had a strong connection with your boys. As you said, you've done a lot of family holidays. You still do. I've heard your boys speak about you as adults and talk about you as a dad as adults. It must be nice to hear, mate, that, that strong connection. We talk about a lot on this podcast about the end goal, I guess, is to have that strong relationship with our kids as adults. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I think it's – look, I, I guess we all take it seriously, but I think for me, yeah, you know, football could never get away you know, in the way of being a parent, you know, like – it was, you know, we made a really strong commitment as a family to, to, to coach Sydney collectively, to coach Melbourne collectively. And as you said, they were a slightly different age when we, we coached Melbourne. And I think that really helped them understand the values that it took to be a high-performing player and, and a high-performing coach. And now we can have some really good conversations. You know, they learn a lot from the players themselves. You know, when they were really young in the rooms at Sydney, and I can't thank the Sydney players enough for you know, embracing my, my young kids, you know, like and teaching them and, and nurturing them. And then, as I said, you know, the Melbourne thing was, was different. You know, they're, they're, they're good friends with some of the players and, you know, got to see firsthand what it was like to, to train and play. And, you know, they would run into them at nightclubs and things like that. So, yeah, it's really pleasing. They learn a lot along the journey and, and my journey was their journey. And then we share the journey together now, you know, in, in what they're trying to do. And, yeah, it's good to be able to have conversations with with the boys and I think if we're talking about fatherhood and this is no disrespect to my father yeah we just didn't speak a lot about the things we did you know he was really proud of what I did and came to every Fitzroy game and most of the Sydney games being it was interstate but we didn't talk a lot about them you know the meaningful things in life you know I know he loved me and I know yeah he was always super supportive but we have different conversations now with our kids and I think that's really important and I hope you know, with Dylan and Tyler, they have more meaningful conversation with their kids. You know, I won't take that as a as a negative, you know, because I know I've got a lot of things to grow and given the generation I came from, you know, we weren't big on opening up and talking about things, but I've tried my hardest to, to have more meaningful conversations and I know where Dylan is and Tyler, they'll have way more meaningful conversation with their kids. And I think it's just that evolution of fatherhood, keep moving it forward, keep challenging ourselves, keep being aware of our strengths and weaknesses and and keep having the conversations. Yeah, it's funny. I, I linked with uh, Dylan on LinkedIn and had a look through his his career, and he's um, he's a he's a bit of a self start. It looks like he's he likes the idea of being his own man and having his own uh, business. Is that a fair call? Entrepreneurial. I think when he came to me about three years ago, I said, "Mate, this is amazing. Like a, to have a you know twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven year old. She's older. Loved that when I was a parent. You know, and I think I was a really good." father but I would love to have had someone that's just outside that realm to talk to the boys about alcohol and girlfriends and drugs and, and yeah. their purpose and their habits and their values and I, I get so many messages from the parents saying this is, this is fantastic so Dylan's done a really good job to, to forge a business and he's really passionate about it and he talks about the things that fathers can't really get across or, or mothers can't really get across you know and, he, and he's done an incredible job so and he loves it you know he worked hard he he grinds hard, and so yeah. If there's any parents out there that, and and again, 
the biggest thing I can say is I would have used them, and Tammy and I, we think we're great parents. So it's not a, we don't think it's a flaw that to use someone like Dylan because you're failed in any one area. My, I reckon I was a pretty good footy coach and a pretty good footy player. Do you reckon they listened to me when I was coaching them? No. And I didn't take that as, to be honest, I didn't take that as a as a slight. I knew that that's, that's what 14, 15, 16, 17, ah, oh, dad doesn't know or mum doesn't know. That's just part of it. <laughs> so if we can use the story about, you know, it takes a tribe to rise up, to rise, you know, a boy or a girl, like, that's so true. Where's the tribe coming from? Don't worry about where, where the tribe comes from. <laughs> just use the resources. And I think that's probably the thing I see, boys, is there's so many more resources now through the connection we have with its podcast, with the social media. You know, it's so immediate. We can reach out to people that we've never been reached out. And I know when I was a kid growing up, you know, my, my friend's dad was a role model. You know, my basketball coaches were role models. My football coaches were role models, tennis coaches. But we just didn't talk about it. I just watched and observed. Now we've got an opportunity to educate our young people 13, 14, 15, 16, so much um, more quickly and so much more broadly, in a sense, by just using those resources. So, yeah, Dylan's doing a really amazing job, which is great. A big shout-out to our sponsors, Bruce's Cafe in Wynyard. You sometimes uh, sit back and go, geez, where did all that time go, Paul? I, I'm at home, mate. I'm in isolation at the moment with a, with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. What do you miss most about having young children, mate? Uh, I'm sure yeah, there's just, something. I think what you miss most is, you're right, just having them there. Like I think, yeah, the biggest adjustment, like I'm 58 and Tammy's 56, the biggest adjustment is not having them in the house. And I think that's the hardest thing. Like we're, as I said, really close family. And I think that's the thing, just every moment's precious. Yeah, even the tough moments because there'll be a time when they're not in the house and and you'll sort of go, gee, it's quiet, like the peace and quiet, and it's quite eerie to be honest. You know, like that's probably the, the biggest thing like I miss, just having them there, having them around, playing a game with them, hide and seek or just talking to them or watching a video, watching telly or going for a walk or kick down the park. Yeah, just, just them being around I think is the biggest thing that I miss, yeah, definitely. Uh, I've got 20-month-old twin boys and a six-year-old it's not all it's cracked up (laughs) you've just forgotten yeah that's great their their nick their nicknames are paul and simon atkins (laughs) (laughs) it's funny isn't it and i reckon the other thing it's a bit like i talk to people about being a player no one remembers my bad games and when you're a player you're a much better player when you retire and it's the same as that when you're a father when you're a father, oh, you go, yeah. oh, geez, how good was parenthood, mate? <laughs> yeah, when you, but then when you guys are doing what you're doing, it's like, oh, Brucey, come on. It's not that easy. And I'm like, no, you're fine. <laughs> you're right. It's not that easy. And we tend to forget <laughs> that, but we get a bit my age and we go, oh, geez, I miss the boys yeah. going around. But yeah, good, good luck and <laughs> it's yeah, good yeah. fun, isn't it? What are you most proud about your boys, Brucey? When other people speak of them. You know, I think that's. That's that's what we strive to. I remember when my father passed away about four years ago, and and every time someone says, "Oh, I knew your dad," I've never hear a bad word about him. I, I'm really proud about that. But I think that's the proudest thing about my boys that when people talk about them, and oh, I ran into your son the other day. He's a nice, he's a nice lad, and he's really polite. I, I think that's the proudest thing, and and in in some ways, it's it's, it's the same thing in footy. Get the simple things right. If they can be polite and respectful 
and have good values, get the simple things right. If they can do that, then everything falls into place. I think as parents, we tend to worry too much about their grades in school and what are they going to be and where they're going to go. And, and we tend to skip the other stuff. Don't do that. You know, hey, pull up. That's not respectful of mum. That's not respectful of dad. Don't be rude. If we can put them on the right path from a value point of view, everything else is going to take care of itself. You know, I mean, there's a really good proverb I've, I've seen before. A little grandkid says to his, yeah, it's an, um, an Indian, little Indian boy speaks to his Indian granddad and said, Dad, yeah, I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Have you got any, you know, ideas? The granddad looks down the little grandson and says, just be a good person. There's plenty of vacancies for that. And I reckon that's that's 100% right. Never been more true at the yep. moment with the world the way it's going on. If you can be, we need more good people and we need more people pulling everyone together. Absolutely. We need less divide, less division and less people pulling each other apart. So that's probably what I'm most proud of. It's just, you know, both the boys seem to have pretty good values mm. and people speak highly of them. You know, they've made mistakes and will continue to do so. But if we can get them back on track and you can do the basic things well over and over and over again, it's a pretty good starting point. Uh, good call, mate. Look, I've got, we're coming towards the back end of it, mate, but I've got two, two questions. Well, this one's, so out of out of these three, so uh, out of nineteen ninety leading goal kicker with forty nine at Fitzroy, the ninety nine coaching the USA to victory over Canada in the Parallel Cup, or dropping Barry Hall in two thousand and seven and not being killed. What's it? It's funny, but a lot of people don't know. I'll go with the first two because everyone, Hawley and I, have hopefully still got a really good relationship. But that's pretty. I mean, everyone knows, you know what we went through with Hawley and things like that. So that's yeah, yeah. pretty much common knowledge and most of that's public knowledge. People yeah, get surprised yeah. when I've won the leading goal kick at 49. I think that's why you're bringing it up. So I'm, I get pretty pumped about that. I'm like, hang on, 49 goals now mm. we almost lead the yeah, goal yeah. kicking. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> the thing I do add a little bit with that, which is not true, I say, yeah, well, I, I did it from centre back. So 49 goals from centre back, pretty good. So I, I – I built that a little bit because I, I most people think I was a centre back. I said, "Yeah, forty nine goals from centre back, not a bad effort." Fair effort. But no one really knows that my first coaching gig was coaching the USA over Canada. We beat Canada in Chicago, and mate, that was unbelievable. Like that came out of nowhere. I didn't even know the USAFL existed, and I still got some really good friends from that time. So, if I had to pick something, probably achievement that people would be staggered with I, I think it's more the middle one that people would go you coached your first coaching gig i'll tell you another one which is really really cool i did in that year i did we, the afl were fantastic they sent some funding over the usafl and yeah. the usafl said look we got paul ruse over here for 10 months so i did it and i did sort of seven or eight coaching things i did um a coaching clinic for umpires in denver my last game i played was in denver they talked me into playing they said ruse you gotta play you gotta play so i enjoyed that I coached the, the New York Magpies played against the Philadelphia team in Manhattan and they'd hired three football fields. And I still remember this 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 car, little car came in with a sunroof with the plastic goalpost out of the top. And I'm standing in these three these three fields going, shaking my head, going, This is unbelievable. I'm looking at the skyline of Manhattan, standing in the middle of this field. <laughs> so I coached both teams and I umpired the game. So if you ever want to have a really if you want to have a really good coaching record, coach both teams and umpire. 
It's a really good way to have a hundred <laughs> record. So, and the game finished. They brought out the. They must have. Yeah. I don't know where they got the VBs from, and the sausage rolls, <laughs> and they put on the barbie. Mate, we could have been anywhere in country Victoria or anything like that. It was just a skyline of Manhattan right behind me. A lot of mix of Aussies and 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 Americans. It was just a wonderful, Brilliant. wonderful experience, really. Mate, um, we won't hold you up any longer, Rusey. We know you've been uh, you've been more than generous with your time today. Um, weather's half decent over there, mate. You better, better let yeah, you go thanks, and enjoy that. that. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and leave a review. Please be nice. Thank you for listening. Too bad off that. <laughs>